and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 59. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Next Gen's second season, uh, The Child Where Silence Has Lease and Elementary Dear Data. Here we go. The Child, Season 2, Episode 1, Production Number 127, Original Air Date, November 21st, 1988, Directed by Rob Bowman, Written by Jason Summers, John Povel, and Maurice Hurley, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Seymour Castle as Hester Delt, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, R.J. Williams as Ian Andrew Troy, Call Meany as Miles O'Brien, Don Alderman as Miss Gladstone, Zachary Benjamin as Young Ian, and Dora Kelly as Crewman. Deanna Troy is impregnated by a mysterious entity, and we have a new doctor. When a plague in the densely populated Rochella system races out of control, help from the Enterprise is enlisted in the medical emergency. But while preparing to transport samples of deadly plasma plague from a Federation research station to a site where a sustainable antidote can be developed, Captain Picard is given the unexpected news by Deanna and new to the ship, Dr. Catherine Pulaski. This is Dr. Catherine Pulaski. We'll handle the formal introductions later. Counselor Deanna Troy is pregnant. She... She is going to have a baby. Baby? Well, this might be the first time that I've written down, like, the first sentence in my notes says... Entity enters ship, then Troy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not very, the last. Um, no, it's a very provocative. <laughs> oh, my um, You know, okay, so this episode was, um, well, <coughs> sorry. Um, first, first, let's, uh, let's kind of, oh, by the way, sorry, folks at home, as you can tell, I'm a little under the weather, but, um, um, hopefully it'll it be up. it'll be exciting and, and something different. Um, so um, let's talk about just in general very quickly uh, season two. Um, so we had a lot of changes. Obviously, um, the last Doctor is out. I can't even remember her name. She's <laughs> so gone. Uh, and so so we got a new Doctor. Um, Riker's got a beard. Um, Worf's got a new sash. <laughs> um, what else? I mean, there's lots, of, lots of little stuff. Oh, uh, Troy has a new, yeah. new, yeah, new, new fashion for Troy. New hair. Um, and we have uh, a permanent course, engineer. Oh yes, Jordy got a promotion and uh, transfer. I guess uh, since the end of the last season, so that's exciting. Um, the look of the show is a little bit different. This episode in particular looks a little dark. Um, it's a little bit, I mean, a little bit feature-ish looking, but um, I don't think they're going to stick around with that. It's almost too too much, but um, um, Ten Forward is new. Guinan is new. Uh, it's funny, you know, it's hard to... Ten Forward is such a part of the show. To me, you know, it's such a part of, of what the show is, That's everything good that's, that is in the show, because, um, you know, what I... What I love about watching Star Trek are the characters and, and seeing those characters interact. And, you know, you've got a place like Ten Forward that's literally about, I mean, it only exists um, for recreation, for people to interact, the characters to interact with one another. Um, that it's, it almost, 
it's it's like trying to imagine DS9 without quarks to me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's it's kind of crazy to think season one had no ten forward, <clears throat> but um, we've got it now. We've got Guinan. Um, it feels uh, these kind of changes. These things are getting to what my point is. Everything from from ten forward to Guinan to Riker's beard. These are all the things that I just think of as being Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, so it's it's nice to have them. I I feel like I'm coming home when I see these thing, mm-hmm. kinds of things in a way that I don't when I when I see like most of season one, um, and that's really going to be extreme today. That that feeling of the next gen that I think of as next gen when we talk about our last episode today, Elementary Dear Data. But um, these first two episodes, especially the child, well, no, both of these, these feel more like season one episodes in many ways to me. Um, so, um, now this episode, The Child, of course, we have the uh, the writer's strike of, what, what was it, 88, mm-hmm. um, which causes Next Gen's second season to be a few episodes short. It's only going to be 22 instead of the usual 26 episodes. It also means um, that they had to try and get some scripts that were already written uh, because writers couldn't be doing certain things at certain times and stuff like that because they were on strike. Uh, so one of the solutions to that was, or or at least one of the ways to um, um, to expedite the process of getting these scripts out once the writer's strike was over, et cetera. You know, they found, they had to pull some scripts out that had already been um, written basically, or at least had solid ideas because they just didn't have time to do it. Uh, so this is the first of those. This this episode called "The Child" is a uh, is recycled from the Star Trek Phase Two uh, series. You know the series that was canceled in was it seventy seven? Yeah. Or, no, was it seventy six? It was uh, around there. Somewhere you know there was yeah. So there was going to be a new Star Trek series, um, and of course Star Wars came out and it was such a big feature hit that they canceled the series so that they could make uh, new movies. Anyway, so The Child is one of the scripts that was written for uh, Star Trek Phase 2. Uh, instead of Troy, it was uh, Ilya that got the mystery baby. Um, so <laughs> I don't necessarily think that it feels grafted onto Next Gen. Um, but I think my problem with ep- this episode is the same kind of problem that I have with a lot of the first season episodes. I'm just going to come out and say that, that and then I'm going to... Uh, give give you guys the floor, but you know what my problem with this episode is that that it consistently um, everybody's so nonchalant about what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> she she's been impregnated, and within well, like a, like, like days, she has a baby, and they're just sitting, you know, and she's walking around. She takes the child to daycare, you know, and and everybody's just so oh look, there's the there's the alien baby. <laughs> what you know, it's 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 that makes it feel bizarre. I think on paper. Um, maybe be different, but, but when you're watching it, it just it feels it feels rough, off and, and wrong for that. For me, what do you what are your guys' thoughts here? Um, yeah, I would tend to go. I think maybe Worf probably took it pretty seriously. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. Um, no, I'd agree with what you said. It um, it was kind of odd to me because this is um, obviously this is the first season open episode. I don't when I think about this episode, I don't think it feels like a somewhere in the middle type episode it doesn't feel like something that uh, that would open as a season i guess yeah, we're just I totally agree we're, with that i definitely agree with you there it kind of i guess we got a little spoiled with ds9 because um they generally opened each season um 
with something big or, you know, kind of dramatic. Um, and this is kind of just, to me, it's a middle of the road episode. Um, it's cool because, yeah, we get to see all these new things. Um, 10 Forward, um, Guinan, um, um, all these new places that we've, that, like you said, we come to love, but yeah, it's a it's an eh episode. I wasn't like, oh my god, I don't ever want to watch this episode again. But it's it definitely has. I would, I would agree with you. Kind of has a first season feel. Yeah, I think I think what causes the um, the issue with these things, the, the oddity of no one reacting much to big issues, is that it totally it alienates them from us. You know, I mean, if you you can't you can't uh, sympathize yeah, with them when when they're just kind of like, oh, this is just normal, this strange event. I mean, it, you know. It's it, it it's it's odd because like you know they'll play like this suspenseful music and it makes it extra creepy when it's like ooh creepy baby and ooh mm-hmm. now it talks and all this kind of stuff but at the same time yeah everyone just goes about their business yeah so it's yeah really like, so that that scene where that you're referencing uh, where Picard comes in there and then he says hi whatever <laughs> yeah you know and yeah there's some like scary music there and stuff but then what's the next scene it's not seeing Doom the kid in the brig with some security officers standing <laughs> around him and you know try, no it's just the next normal thing you know so it, it you're right because because it doesn't seem like the natural reaction now, now on one hand yes it, it you know these people hey nutty crazy stuff is par for the course for them but this is 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 still not you know the right reaction yeah yeah and um what else to say? Oh, uh, kind of changing the topic a bit, but uh, the and and uh, Pulaski. I mean, I don't like her right off the bat. I never did like her. I think a lot of it has to do with the way she treats data. Data. And it's and it's just uh, I don't know. She just comes off as acerbic and tiresome. And I know they were yeah. trying to maybe model her after McCoy a bit, that kind of thing. I know that's what they were going for, but uh, that that's also a problem for me in, in much of this season, really. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about because I think that it's supposed to be that 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 has always been my instinctive response as well. Like it, it like it's almost you know take it personal the way she treats data, and I, and I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, but you've got stuff like say in elementary dear data. We're going to talk about that later, obviously. But you've got a situation where she chooses to go. Uh, she's not like she doesn't have any actual animosity against him she, you know she's not a total b right yeah it's, <laughs> she thinks of him the same way you know if, she, if she's modeled after mccoy to her he he might he's mccoy's uh transporter yeah you know? yeah and she just doesn't you know um well if, they, if so, i remember i think she comes to i mean she I, we'll, we'll find this out when we talk about the when we get to the end of the season and what how how this character grows and if it developed at all and why they decided to go back to um, um, Crusher? Yeah. So um, the some of the producers, uh, not Berman, but uh, you know, some of my research. It, it, some people made it sound like it wasn't necessarily Gene Roddenberry, but they somebody, some other producers convinced him. I'm not sure, but definitely um, Rick Berman said he disagreed with the choice. Uh, it didn't agree with the uh, choice to fire. Um, Gates McFadden, uh, but it wasn't that she wanted out of the show like um, Denise Crosby. Uh, she was fired because some of the producers didn't like where the character was going or something of that effect. Um, and, uh, you know, we so we did at least bring another woman on to be the doctor, so we didn't lose a female perspective from the show, but um, 
she always is going to feel like exactly what she is. You watch the opening credits, and apparently it was her decision, but still, her name is not in them. You know, she's not in the main titles. She's mm-hmm. always a guest star, like like Goldberg is going in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she always feels like this outsider. She, you know, um, the way she always treats Data continues to make her feel that way. You know, to an extent, definitely we're supposed to not like her off the bat. Look at the way she doesn't even come up to see Picard, and Picard doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, there's an example of somebody reacting properly <laughs> to the situation. Uh-huh. Picard's kind of ticked off, and he goes down there. Of course, then she cuts him off. Um, but, um, and she's from the original series too. The the actress. Yeah, she did yeah, a couple episodes yeah. of the original series. Um, what do we think about uh, Guinan? So, so Whoopi Goldberg, huge nutty Star Trek fan, of course. I grew up watching the original series and Nichelle Nichols and always, you know, I, I remember in um, Nick Meyer's book, he said something about uh, her almost being in Star Trek five or six, six, Star Trek six. Hmm. It didn't happen in the same way that Eddie Murphy was almost in Star Trek four. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she did lobby to get on this show. You know, she made a personal request to get on this show because she, because she likes Star Trek. Um, which is awesome. So, of course, we love Whoopi Goldberg from now until forever. <laughs> um, but I do always remember liking the character. You know, in this, in the same way that I instinctively didn't like Pulaski, probably because of the way she was written, and I was supposed to respond that way, I instinctively liked Guinan. I've always liked Guinan. Yeah. I like, I like Whoopi's performance as Guinan. Um, she's kind of that, you didn't put it this, you didn't realize the ship needed that person until it was her. Maybe, you know, um, mm-hmm. Troy was supposed to be the ship's counselor. She was supposed to be this that kind of role. But I think I think that if if they're ever going to dig into the character, then we have to we have to we have to analyze the character. We have to have experiences with the character that kind of almost removes her ability to be outside of the situation. You know what I mean? Like she's mm-hmm. always in it, so she can't really offer the kind of counsel. Um, that maybe she was originally intended to do. It's not a complaint. It just means they had a plan to have this this sounding board character. Uh, Somebody impartial. Yeah, because, yes, exactly, because they, they did need that, but that's not the direction Troy ended up going. Um, so they brought in Guinan, and Guinan was perfect in that in that position. What are your guys' thoughts on, do you remember her coming on the show? What a big deal that was. Yeah, I remember. I yeah. Remember. Publicly, it was it was a, yeah, it was a big deal. I like how the inner, you know, it's kind of like Guinan. You don't ever really get a whole lot about Guinan, and you know, and looking at it in hindsight, whoever's watching this for the first time, you don't get a lot of Whippy, Whippy, Whippy mm. Goldberg. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, and I like it because there is mystery to her, but there's a, a a very gentle kindness to her character as well. You know, you see those scenes with Wesley and how she's kind of guiding him to kind of you know make his own decisions and be his own his own man and. But we don't, and slowly but surely throughout the years, we get a little bit more and more from Guinan. I mean, she's not in every episode going forward. I'm sure that'll be a trivia question somewhere down the line or how many episodes Whoopi Goldberg was in. But um, maybe today, even. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like how they introduced her. You know, very simple, simply, no big explanations or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I too always like the character, and uh, I think yeah, I think it's done well. And it's also they they don't they don't like showcase her because she's a star too, which is good. I mean, she's just she's yeah. there, and then you know just doing it like, as if she was just a 
some character actor, you know, just uh, off to the side, whatever. And she's a recurring character or something. Not a, not a big star. So I like that. Um, I like the uh, some of the jokes at the end there when Wesley does. It's, it's you brought up Wesley's little B B story there about deciding to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some of those jokes. Worf's gonna tuck him in at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the actual story of this episode, though, I, I kind of complained about everybody being nonchalant about Troy's baby. Um, even the transporting specimens and losing containment and all that whole storyline is. You know, um, it's it's trying to add a little bit of a ticking clock or some drama to it. Mm-hmm. I guess you know it's 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 competent, but I don't I don't particularly enjoy it or care about it. I like the actor Seymour Cassell, but I don't care for the character that he's playing. I don't like the what, the character and what mm-hmm. he does with it is nothing. It's so forgettable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, he was the lead in the movie I worked on that Lavar Burton directed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, boy, Seymour is an honorary guy, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> one other thing I, I do feel like I have to bring up. Well, you know, first <clears throat> let's, let's discuss what the, anything, what this is about. So, so in, in summary there, I, I think this episode feels off. It feels oddly dated. You know what my best memory about this episode was? Years ago, when, when I was in college and I was going to lots of little, like, toy conventions and comic book conventions, somebody, like, took one of the, the Troy action figures and somehow, like, opened the bubble and and like molded a, made her look a pregnant. They gave her impregnated her. <laughs> yeah, and then they put it back into the box and they very skillfully like changed the. So basically, they they made what really looked like an off-the-shelf Playmates pregnant Troy character <laughs> from the child. You know, um, if you didn't know better, you would have thought that was totally real. And. <laughs> It was obviously somebody put a lot of work into making just one, but I kept seeing it at these different shows from people that would buy it and sell it. Anyway, it was for years I saw that thing. It was funny. Um, that's my best memory about this this episode. <laughs> so the, the whole episode feels oddly off to me. I, I, I don't I don't particularly care for it. Um, and um, you know, I try to think about what this episode's about. Um, you know, there's a couple moments here and there. The the scene when everyone's um, um, uh, in the ready room there, and they're all discussing what to do about about Troy's oh. baby, and then she kind of cuts everybody off and says, "I'm having this baby." Now, aside from the fact that story-wise, it doesn't it doesn't feel like what a character should be doing. It doesn't make any sense. There's no even explanation for it later, as far as well the the thing. You know, and if it was some entity kind of con- having an influence on her mind. Shouldn't we be aware of that? And shouldn't that be a scary thing? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Aside from all those kind of things, the idea of this room full of mostly men deciding what this woman is going to do with her baby, that was kind of interesting and certainly culturally relevant, certainly uh-huh. still today as it would have been 25 years ago. Um, I, I don't I don't know. This, so this idea of making choices yourself, maybe, you know, we get some of that with, with Wesley and, and, you know, and the guy and helping him with that. I mean, so there's some of that there, but I mean, it falls by the wayside so quickly. It's not really a central theme in the story much after that. Um, so I think I'm kind of reaching with that. And because I don't have much of a, a very good answer, I, I think this, uh, this is another uh, example of a show that doesn't hold up so well for me because of that. It holds up better than the average, say, first season episode. But it feels like kind of what it is, which is between the first and second season. You guys' thoughts on what it's about? Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you. All that being said, I kind of did, um, I'm watching it again. I kind of, I did like the, the birth scene. 
kind of with data, you know, data's interaction in there. Um, it's mm, just that's a, nice. that's a tribute to, you know, the actors, even though, you know, they're given subpar material, they're able to still kind of pull it off. I thought all the, all, they all, I thought they all did a good job during that scene. Data, Riker, you know, obviously there's a, there's that emotional pass between him and Troy. And I, I thought they played it well, you know, even though we, we've discussed it, like, you know, all of, all of this coming together was kind of haphazard. I still did like kind of like that scene and the, the performances that were given in it. But yeah. I agree with you. I don't know really what it's about. I guess yeah. choice would be the closest thing. Yeah, I, I'm 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 in accord. I, I, I would have to stretch to come up with something that's about. So yeah, I don't know. Not much to say on that. Do you, do you like this episode, Steve? Uh, I like it. Okay. I mean, I don't I don't hate it. Um, it it's I I always remember it. You know, um, but I also remember it being kind of odd and corny or something too. So um, I'm just kind of middle of the road with it. You know, there's cool. an interesting idea in it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe if it had been, you know, if they'd reacted more appropriately, if they just completely focused on the child storyline, and mm-hmm. I don't know. But even then, you're, it's getting it's starting to feel like I don't know, like the actual movie Alien. You know, where they <laughs> they stuck this thing in me. It's coming. Ripping out of my, I don't know. Would it have been more interesting if it was a devil child that came out <laughs> and went on a and went on a rampage? Mm-hmm. You liked it more than Brian. Yeah. <laughs> well, I th- I think that's part of the problem, right? I mean, it's 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 what is it trying to be? I mean, they 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 put the spooky music and make it like, oh, this is weird, you know, this kid growing up so fast and all that stuff too. But that's the only thing that makes it a spooky thing, really. And uh, otherwise, it's it's pleasant and everyone yeah, happy and it, that he's there. Yeah, it makes the decision to leave for the better of the ship. Yeah, and, yeah, and, which is. Not the spooky. Th- I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it. Yeah, it doesn't know what it wants to be, and it and it doesn't know what it wants to be from a from a story and script point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you know if you if your script is confused, uh, then I don't care. You know, then, then of course your episode is going to be uh, confused too, no matter how you direct it. So, uh, the, the one other thing I want to mention that before we move on. So there were a lot of complaints. I don't know if you guys, uh, Steve. I'm sure you watched the Blu-ray. Adam, you you're watching the SD version or the new HD version? Yeah. It's on Netflix. I don't have Okay. So, Steve, um, you know, there were a lot of complaints here about season two's subpar FX work as compared to season one. Um, and, you know, just looking at stills and things, it didn't, it wasn't until today, this time, for this episode, I watched obviously three episodes. Um, and I don't know if you noticed it, but for me, it didn't bother me as much as some of the really vocal people I've read comments online. Um, but for the first time now, I do kind of I see what they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and it really makes the work done in season one look great. But you know what? We kind of take for granted that, you know, a ship, for example, you know, you don't see any kind of reflection or very little reflection or something from like some of the planets if a ship's flying by, mm-hmm. um, and you don't realize how much of an effect that subtle thing has until you see it right. Because when it's done right, like what we saw in season one, you don't even think about it. It's just, that's the Enterprise and here they are. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, when I, not, or not this episode, but all these episodes today, you know, watching enough of them together, it does start to stick out a little bit as, oh, that's an effect. You know, like I, once I notice it, once I'm thinking about it, then I realize, okay, well, it must not be as good. I mean, it's a subtle thing. I'm not, I'm not like upset about it. I'm very glad that we have these things in HD. But mm-hmm. I'm also glad that CBS fired this company and that they're not going to be involved <laughs> yeah. in the future seasons. Um, even more than the ship stuff, where I really notice it are, is green screen work. Like when somebody's standing in front of the view screen, it's pretty shoddy, like the way it's traced around their head and stuff. You know, you, you can really see it, which I never saw that in the first season stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did. It, it's notable. 
Um, I'd still be rather, I'd still much rather watch this HD version. I still think it's great that we have it. Um, uh, it's still the embodiment of the original show, but in HD now. It's just not the incredible thing that we had from season one. Yeah. Um, Steve? Yeah, I, I concur with that. It would. So you noticed it too? Uh, yeah, a bit. I mean, uh, it was hard to put my finger on it, but uh, and I, I was probably swayed a bit from reading the feedback anyway. But yeah, it's just not. It, I'm not. I'm not in awe of it so much. You know, it's just kind of like, like it's we were the first season. right. It's it's obviously it's HD, great, and they have to replace effects. But uh, I wasn't. I wasn't blown away like I was much of the time with some of the effects in the first season. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to. Um... Six degrees for the child. Uh, Adam, since you asked, Whoopi Goldberg makes her debut as Guinan, the patient listener that runs 10 forward. In how many episodes of Next Gen did she play Guinan? You got a multiple choice here. Is it 12, 19, or 28? I'm going to say 12. You are incorrect. With only two other options, I'm not going to give Steve the redirect. The answer is 28. Wow. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I would have said, I was thinking either 19 or 12. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, making her debut at the beginning of Next Gen's second season, Guinan is obviously not to be found in Next Gen's first season. What is the other season in Next Gen that is Guinan-less? Hmm. Okay. Um, how about seventh? You are correct. Seven. So she did her 28 episodes between seasons two and six. Moving on. Where Silence Has Lease, season two, episode two, production number 128. Original air date, November 28, 1988. Directed by Winrick Colby, written by Jack B. Swords, music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Earl Bowen as Nagilam, Charles Douglas as Haskell, and Calmini as Transporter Chief. <laughs> Well, en route to the Morgana Quadrant, the Enterprise is engulfed by a mysterious hole. Having no dimensions and void of all energy and matter, Captain Picard is perplexed by this mysterious oddity, which cannot be measured or defined in human terms, and the crew is caught up in a trap by which their own standards does not even exist. You are too aggressive, too hostile, too militant. During this period, you too have been evaluated would seem that we have at least one thing in common. Oh. Curiosity. The point is well taken, Captain. Perhaps that is a trait we share. If we go through there, where will we be? <laughs> on the bridge. But we are already on the bridge. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, folks. I'm... Uh, a lot of people don't they're neutral about this episode or some people even like it like some of the people that made this episode they think this turned out to turn around I hate this episode oh my god I loathe it I loathe it it feels like exactly what it is which is an hour on the bridge I I this was painful I almost would rather watch oh my god I would I think I would rather watch um um why can I never remember the name of the uh the African American insult <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, code of honor. Code of honor. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would rather. I w- I would enjoy watching code of honor more than this. This was a chore. Oh my god, I remember kind of feeling that way. I haven't watched this episode in years, but wow, did you guys? What did you guys think here? And and you know what? I can I can be honest on this because the next episode we're going to talk about, 
freaking awesome. I love it. I can't wait to talk about the next one. But this one, oh my god, a chore from start to finish. I did not like, did not like. Guys? I like the end. I like the end scenes with Picard and Data and Troy and and his last little scene with, um, the heck is his name? The little entity? Nagilam. Nagilam. But yeah, other than that, I mean, it's kind of a lot of things are haphazard and slapped together. You're kind of like, um, it's just kind of all over the place. But um, I, I, like I said, I mean, at least for these first two episodes, I didn't really think either of them were great. But there are scenes in them that I like. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I could just like take those scenes out and watch well, those over and over again. One interesting right. thing here, the way it starts off for a while, just sitting on the bridge, you know, and they're investigating the situation. It, it was kind of interesting at first. And I thought this is probably what their normal day really is like. You know, that's kind of cool. You know, oh, there's, let's investigate, you know. Um, but then it, when it just feels like it doesn't go anywhere after a while, it, I mean, it really started to become tiresome. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Though. Just no, sorry. My, my favorite is when the, when the thing is pinging, the, when they drop a buoy and it's pinging and it seem, nobody seems to notice the sound. Oh, we're approaching something. Yeah, it's the ping. Yeah. They, you don't they, hear it. Yeah, it. yeah. This makes everyone sound stupid. This definitely makes everyone seem stupid. And that was a that had to be a production error because they probably when they're doing this, actually filming this scene, they have no idea. Let's let's be specific uh, to to explain what you're talking about for people that maybe don't remember that exact moment. (laughs) Ping. (laughs) Yes, that's what I meant. The double effect. They 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 send out like a little probe or something, a stationary thing, and it's making this sound that's very loud. They said we're gonna fly away from it, and we get. And it gets quieter, and then it gets louder again. They have no idea. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they're like, "What's what is that?" Even though it's obviously the exact same darn sound. Yeah, <laughs> what is that bizarre sound that we've never heard before? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, and that's that, that's a that's just a really bad production error that they, you know, they didn't catch or just didn't care mm-hmm. to correct. I think this is just a really good example of of how not to do a bottle show. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to do a, a show all on a ship, but to I don't know. Money. Yeah, to save money. Yeah, we we see that all the time. But they're, they're not all bad, you know. So this is just a really good example of what what not to do. I mean, it, it, everything drags. Everything drags. Everyone, everything's mm-hmm. too talky. Every scene almost is that way. I mean, from the very beginning, you have the uh, wharf and Riker oh my God. fighting stuff, and all that just goes. And then and th- this not only makes everyone most everyone seem like they're stupid, but it also makes Wharf seem like he's crazy. You know, yeah. it's, the the whole thing has got problems. And also. Uh, thanks to another episode of Who's That Guy? Worf looks a bit portly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, folks, Who's That Guy is what we say whenever the stunt person obviously doesn't look anything like what the actual actor looks like. And in this case, um, yeah, I think he could have uh, lost think, a few pounds there to, to try and impersonate Worf. I think these first two episodes kind of so- suffer from the same problem. You know, the aliens that they encounter, we don't, I mean, in the first one, it's just, oh, this guy shows up, this entity shows up on the ship, impregnates Troy, and that's all we really get to know about this um, entity that nobody, and then in this one, Nagilam, all we really know about him is that he wants to kind of kill half the ship to experience death. So there's oh no God. real, there's no real interaction or character building with the, with the, the, the alien life forms that they're encountering, which, you know, everybody's become accustomed to in Star Trek, and that's probably where not having writers suffered because they couldn't build these characters. Okay. You know? So you just reminded me of the thing that make that made me go from, oh my God, this episode's a chore to, oh my God, I hate this episode. So Nikilam plans to kill half of us. So let's set the auto destruct and kill all of us. <laughs> we'll show him. <laughs> what, did, what did I miss? I missed something, right? 
There's something I missed, obviously. Please explain that to me. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously the result works out, but that's not what the, the intent is. It's not that we're going to put a, employ this ruse to make him think we're going to destroy us and, and, and mm-hmm. sabotage the experiment. No, it really sounds like, uh, no, it, we're not going to play his game. We're going to kill so our, all ourselves die. first. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So On uh, what planet does that make sense? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, good Even thing they did it because it worked out, but I don't know why. If you were truly in that situation, obviously he would choose to save half his crew if he could. Right. That doesn't make any sense. It's it's stupid. It's not bizarre. It's stupid. I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't make sense. You know, the first the this episode and the previous one it makes it feel like the the whole series is suffering an identity crisis. You know, I mean, uh, thankfully the next episode, I agree, is good and it's enjoyable and it starts feeling like, oh, this is you know next gen. This is kind of the stuff we do. But the first two, it feels like it's it's like you know we're gonna do something else here. And I know a lot of this is the writing and the lack thereof and what do you do. But it feels like it's trying to like be like a horror sci-fi something. You know, these first two, like they're trying to get twisted, weird stories. You know, and this one, you know, like the the guy dies awful on there, and you have the creepy dude, and he's gonna kill half the people, and then. There, let's let's all kill ourselves. Then you know it's it's all it's it doesn't feel right. Yeah, we even had the music, the high pitched piano keys, and I yeah, know, it's a perfect l- example. This episode is not about our characters. It's not. This is not about our characters. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's just. Plot. I don't know what it's supposed to be about, but but yeah, we don't we don't get we don't learn anything about anybody. In fact, it it's uh, it's the opposite of character development. Like I said, it makes everyone seem uh, like they don't know what's going on. It makes Worf seem like he's crazy. Uh, Picard makes a questionable decision. We've already touched on. Yeah, there's all sorts of problems here. Um, that being said, I did like the scenes with Picard, Data, and Troy there, where they're talking about death and. You know, it's probably the closest thing you'll get to religion in um, Star Trek and Picard's belief. I, I like that scene. I, I kind of like his explanation there. It's probably could have been the episode. You could use that that whole speech he was giving in another better episode. But I like that scene, and I like the scene, the very end when he's talking to Gilliam, and it's um, <clears throat> you know, they're they're trying to question. You know, it's a, it's completely it's questioning humanity and and putting those you know frailties and flaws that humanity has in focus. But I kind of think that was just kind of maybe they they just I don't know why they put it in this episode, but I I did like those two scenes. You know, the the idea of rats in a maze, you know, we put you guys in this maze to see how you react. Um, That's that's an interesting idea, but we don't get any of that. Mm -hmm. You know, he says even Nagilam says, well, I I learned a lot about you because I got to see how you prepare for death. What are you talking about? (laughs) I saw. Yeah, I saw him set the. The struck code, and then I saw Picard go sit in his quarters and listen to music for four <laughs> seconds before somebody came in. I didn't see people preparing for death. No. Okay. I don't know what he's talking about. Data was on the bridge. He was probably working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that would be would have been something if we would have seen that. I guess, but uh, no. Yeah. The 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 character the, the 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 crazy bad guy is seeing more than we're seeing. You know. Apparently, I don't know what's going on. This just isn't very good. <laughs> I, I hate this episode. I really do. You hated uh, episode of Star Trek? Okay. It's still Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Watch your tongue, sir. Yeah. <laughs> is this the one where, where Pulaski has the line about... Yeah, I think it is. Um, Forgive me, Data. I'm not accustomed to working with devices. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to... I heard. No. <laughs> um, is this episode about anything? It's about... Um, a big nothing. 
which is that's what it is, right? They they find a big nothing and then they fly into it, <laughs> spend an hour in the big nothing and then they leave. Is that what it's about? Yeah, sure. well, you know, when you put it that way, maybe they achieved exactly what they wanted. I mean, they said this is nap, this is nothing, this is the absence of anything. It never said that way, so brilliant. Okay, brilliant. Moving on. Yeah, really nothing. This will be our shortest episode. That's fine. This will be our shortest discussion ever. Because all I'm going to do is sit here and bash it. And when uh, what I'd rather spend my time doing is talking about how much I love the next episode. Oh, and I and but I did like Jordy's damned ugly nothing. It was one of those kind of lines. <laughs> uh, oh, I liked his fist pump when they destroyed the um, the Romulan fake Romulan vessel. Oh like, yeah, yeah. He's so animated. <laughs> Yeah, and that whole opening sequence with Worf and Riker hunting and and Picard's all like, are you are you um, nervous? Yes, about which one? You know, you think it's something's pretty, yeah, they're, they're, they're it's weird. just a hollow. What? Yeah, I know. But this oh. is the first one you get to see Worf's um, play creatures. You will get to see those many times over the years. Yeah, that skull guy. I remember him fighting him on DS Nine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was better there. Moving on. <laughs> Six degrees for where silence has lease. What is our score? Uh, one, uh, yeah, I have one. Steve has one. All right, Steve, you can go first. Okay. So, as we mentioned, Diana Muldar plays Dr. Catherine Pulaski, the 1701D's doctor for season two. And as we mentioned, she was in um, the original series a couple times. I'm going to ask about one of those. In the original series' second season, in the episode Return to Tomorrow, she played... Anne Mulhall, one of three Enterprise crew members that allow their bodies to be used by alien consciousness. Um, where were these consciences uh, planning to go afterward? Mm. I believe they were going to construct new bodies was their original plan. That is correct. Android bodies. To nothing. Yes. I just had to ask about this. Earl Bowen lends his voice to Nagilam, the cosmic entity that puts the Enterprise in a maze. Bowen is best known for playing Dr. Peter Silverman in what sci-fi trilogy starring a former governor of California? What sci-fi series? Mm-hmm. Probably going to hate myself for after this. I, don't, I have no idea. Steve? Um... Well, you said uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was involved. Sci-fi trilogy. Yeah. So, so what exactly are you looking for again? That what's the topic? Kara, of the, I'll like give the, you a hint. I'll give you a hint, Steve. It's not. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's um. It's another governor. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Um, but I still. I, I, don't, I don't. It is him. I, I thought you were talking. One trilogy, one three three movie series that Arnold was oh, in. Oh, okay. Like I Term, thought you, Terminator, I was, or is that what you yeah, Terminator. Okay. Oh, okay, my bad. I thought I was when you said series, I was thinking TV series. Okay, my bad. So I was thinking oh, some I, Ronald Reagan. Ra- no, I just no. It's okay. So I was thinking like Ronald Reagan. I'm like, what fifties sci-fi? Series? Oh my gosh, no, no, that's no. interesting to imagine. <laughs> no, no, the guy that got Dr. Peter Silverman. He was the psychiatrist. He was in all three of them. Remember? Oh about, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he's he's got delusions, and then in the second one, she's he's. He's uh, her doctor. Anyway, uh, as an obscure reference. I don't think you said TV series. You just said series, and it just made me think of. TV. I think I said sci-fi trilogy. So, but it's all, it's all. anyway, uh, so did Steve get that? Yes. Okay. Three nothing. Moving on. 
Elementary Dear Data, Season 2, Episode 3, Production Number 129, Original Air Date, December 5th, 1988. Directed by Rob Bowman, written by Brian Allen Lane, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest casts include Diana Moldar as Catherine Pulaski, Daniel Davis as James Moriarty, Alan Shearman as Lestrade, Biff Menard as Ruffian, Diz White as Prostitute, and Elizabeth Ramsey as Clancy, and Richard Merson as Pi. When the Starship Enterprise arrives three days ahead of schedule to rendezvous with the USS Victory, the crew is presented with some well-deserved free time. Data and Geordi head to the holodeck where they travel back to Victorian London of Sherlock Holmes to solve one of the famed detective's mysteries. Geordi plays Dr. Watson to Data's Holmes and Dr. Pulaski joins to challenge Data to a true original Holmes mystery. Maybe the computer could create one in Holmes style, one where you wouldn't know the outcome. As I said, he wouldn't have a prayer. I accept your challenge, Doctor. Good for you, Data. We shall return to the holodeck, where I shall dare it to defeat me. And you, madam, are invited to be a witness. I wouldn't miss it. All right, folks. Here we have it. The first episode of The Next Generation that completely is what I think of as next gen and they could play this episode. Yeah, there I mean I think this is a good episode. We're going to talk about that. Of course there are better episodes, but this is a very good one. But this episode could have been any time in the rest of the series and you know and it would have still worked. Um and uh it's I I enjoy it so much. It has so many different things. It almost it's it almost has one too many things in it. Like like there are times when it feels like it's almost going to fall apart, but then it keeps working. Um, cause it like starts off as a data episode and then it turns into almost a morality episode. I mean, a couple of scenes almost, mm-hmm. um, but, but which normally shouldn't work. Um, it should make the thing feel a little bit disjointed. Um, but part of it, I think is that that actor, David, what's his name? Daniel Davis. He's yeah. so good as, as morality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So darn good. Um, that uh, he he can hold it up even when it so when it takes a little bit less focus off our normal characters and then you got Picard doing I don't know there's so many great things about this episode and it, we even have time to have like little like kind of Jordy Data romp in the holodeck there's so there's some of that too um, who did the score for this one Steve uh, Dennis McCarthy of course I love the score for this it does such a cool little thing it's you know where it's like period but modern. Some of the same kind of stuff Zimmer did in those new Sherlock Holmes movies, but it's still Star Trek score, you know, because so it's just kind of mixed in there. It's really neat. I really like the score in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many nice things in this episode, um, and like I said, at times I th- I'm wor- I, it feels like it's on the fence. Maybe it's about to fall apart, and then they kind of pull it back in, um, and and it works. And I think it works great, um, and I really enjoy it. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. So, what do you guys think? Um. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. First of all, I kind of like how they're kind of they play a little tribute to a, a series. I mean, you know, if you think about it, Sherlock Holmes is a, is a series from you know 150 years or Victorian England. So that was before TV, so it was all in print. But it was a very popular series, kind of like um, Star Trek is, and and kind of in the same, not the same genre, but in the same ballpark, if you will. Um, so I like how they pay tribute to to this to Sherlock Holmes. Um, and it's kind of a tribute to Brent Spider. He's able to he can go back and forth and he's able to really do this. It's almost comic how he does it and um really enjoy watching um him play play this role as Sherlock Holmes. 
Maybe one of the reasons I like this is because I do. Yes, I'm. I love Sherlock Holmes. You know, I've read all of it. I've watched a lot of the stuff. Um, there's a pretty big Sherlock connection with uh, Nick Meyer. He's a <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes nut. Um, and uh, um, what's Oh, of course, he wrote some stuff in for Spock. He has that. Spock has that line. That's definitely a Nick Meyer line uh, in Star Trek Six. Where basically he implies that he's related to Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. um, which is a great little line. Um, but so I'm sure that helps. And and you know we're it's going to be a few years before we we see see this again for some legal issues with the character. I always thought he was public domain, but sure. apparently that was that isn't entirely correct. Um, so they did have to sort sort out some minor legal issues. That's why it takes a few years before we get follow, do the follow up to this episode and get to see. Uh, data is Sherlock again, but it kind of works. Uh, they don't overplay it. I think maybe if you yeah. overplayed this, it would well, be. I think the next time we see it, it's stronger. It, the, the next one is is an over as a rounder. You know, it's a better episode. It's more focused, much more focused than this one. Um, then the but, next but, one's not so much about Sherlock Holmes, but we'll get there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, and I, I kind of so I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, I like that Pulaski chooses to go with mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. because I don't feel like she's doing it so that she can say, um, uh, I told you so that Data is incapable. I feel like she's doing it because she thinks it'll be fun and that, and, and that shows that she is genuinely not um, like openly hostile to Data. Mm-hmm. It's nothing mm-hmm. personal or uh-huh. anything. You know, she, This is really what she thinks. And, um there's probably something to getting this other point of view um, that she brings, um, but I but I do like it. So I, I think this is one of those those episodes where it it, it kind of defines that relationship a little bit more. Um, I like that she points out well whenever she does have the I told you so you know fraud. <laughs> uh, you know she points out that Holmes used instinct and understanding of the human soul, you know, to solve these cases as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, you know, data doesn't have that, so you can't do it. Now, um, in a way, he does show um, that he has these things. You know, if we go forward to um, his reaction when um, Morarity, Morarity gives him the uh, drawing of the Enterprise, I, I do love that. You're like, when he stomps off, you know, I mean, I remember thinking, oh my God, what, what is it? What's on the paper? You know, what could, what could give him this reaction? But um, he understands immediately what this means uh, in a way that some of these other people wouldn't. I'm not sure that, that Pulaski, we have a scene, a nice scene actually between her and Moriarty later. And I don't think she's nearly as quick on the uptake as to the ramification of Moriarty's uh, newfound sentience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly, nothing about its darker possibilities that Data is immediately um, keen on, um, and that, that, in a way, that shows him with a better instinct than she has. Yeah, uh, which would prove he has an instinct that you know he has a a a, a command of a character that that maybe she doesn't. Um, anyway. And aside from, as usual, we can have our complaint about how did the paper not disappear as soon as they came off the holodeck, but <laughs> let's just get over that one because um, we don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> what, what do you guys think about um, 
uh, about uh, the Pulaski Moriarty seeing that relationship. I, I like that. I mean, this is the first time I I don't dislike <laughs> uh, Pulaski Pulaski in general. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I agree. It's it's that she chose to come along. That while she's being a foil in a sense, and she's you know trying to prove a point, she's she's enjoying the experience, and she. She plays the best she can in the situation where there's potentially legitimate danger for her with Moriarty. But I do also like the the rapport they have. You know, it feels like I don't know. It's like it's this strange kind of genial thing that Moriarty does, where he's trying to be. He comes off. He 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 is dangerous, but he's also a gentleman. Both. It's this odd thing that he's able to pull off. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think she realized. I mean, if she doesn't think Data's alive, I don't think she would have any problem thinking that. Mm-hmm. Not thinking that Moriarty is alive as well. So it's kind of in tone with her character. But and obviously, she doesn't have the same holodeck experience as the the other crew. Mm, that's true. Crew dudes from from the mm-hmm. first season. So I I genuinely believe that she, even though she's like she's just kind of playing the part um, of just. And I don't think she genuinely believes what's truly going on until later on when Picard shows up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, perhaps. If this episode has one of the things that kind of holds it back, one of the things I was talking about where maybe it's it feels like it's on the fence, almost going to fall apart and not be so good, but then it, it still pulls it back and it's still good. One of those things is, um, so like I mentioned that scene where Data sees this drawing and, 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 and leaves, and, and when any, as soon as he drops his accent, you know there's something serious going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it gives it a sense of drama um, because Moriarty is this, this evil villain. But then, and then we, we never quite do that. Even when he's playing with his machine thing there that's making the Enterprise shake, it never feels very actually threatening. Yeah. Um, you know, so, the, so it kind of never... It never lives up to that sense of drama, or put it this way, Morarity as a villain in this episode never lives up to Data's reaction in that scene with the drawing. Yeah. Now he will in the next episode. The next time Davis comes back as Morarity, I think that he comes off as very powerful and 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 um, uh, potentially scary. And and in that's in that episode. And the, but this one it never quite happens. Of course, we have we have this like like Adam was just mentioning that's that scene with the way. The way Pulaski reacts to him is because of the way he's acting. He's never, he's never very threatening in that scene. Not even, not even in like an undercurrent kind of way. And that's just as written. Or, um, of course, ultimately when Picard comes down there, basically they have a conversation, and and it's because of his sudden sentience and is trying to make sense of it. It's almost like he's not evil anymore. Well, yeah, he says he's changed. He even yeah, and unfortunately, that does take that takes some of the drama out. That the end, the resolution of the situation is Moriarty just, but Moriarty just decides. Well, I I relinquish the ship back to you, um, and let me know if you find a way to get me out of here. Um, and that's not. I actually, I actually like that they chose to end it that way, but yeah. it, but again, it does it does make him feel like he's not much of a villain which makes it feel like there's not that much drama yeah um, so, which maybe holds it back a little bit it's one of the, like i said maybe just on the fence and then they pull it back and it, well, it's still it's still good i still like it i'm just pointing out one. well at the time well at the time yeah i mean you're kind of looking at it in hindsight at the time yeah i mean there is all that concern there is the concern because you know you realize what kind of character moriarty is and what he's capable of so i i don't kind of i don't know if i kind of agree with you that i was let mm. down that there wasn't more drama i think Data's response was appropriate to the danger that the, to the potential danger, but it concludes. Yeah, it doesn't conclude very 
there's not it's not a very dramatic ending, but it it does conclude because he, you have that scene where Moriarty is explaining to Picard that he feels like he's more than he is, and he wants you know he's he's growing, and that's what he says he wants to have this freedom. Now, of course, he still has the characteristics of Moriarty, and he'll do basically whatever it takes to to get what he wants. Um, and we'll see that here in a few years. But um, yeah, I didn't quite feel the same way like that that it was overplayed there in the middle. One thing that made me think about was um, compared to the previous season, uh, The Big Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Minuet? Minuet's character? Or? No, no, no. Um, the uh, the one with the gangster, mm-hmm. you know, with okay. Dixon Hill. So Big Goodbye. Um, we had that one brief little moment right at the end where the cop in that episode talked about, you know, what happens when you guys leave? Am I going to just disappear? What about my wife and my family? And it did feel completely like out of place in that episode and that character and all that stuff. But we we all agreed that we like the idea of of that discussion, uh, and here it's done much more subtly and much more effectively. You know, um, when he talks about, um, you know, uh, you created me. I want my existence. Once once you're sentient, you don't want to give up your existence. You know what actually reminded me? That's the scene in Blade Runner, where. Um, uh, what's his name? Rucker Howard's replicant. I can't remember the character's name. When he goes to uh, the the creator of the company and he says, "I want more life," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it reminded me of that. Uh, but anyway, you know, you you created me and and you have given me uh, this this ability to appreciate appreciate um, the world around me and my and my place in it, and I exist now. And I want that, and I don't want to give that up now. Um, you know, and it's almost like the second you created me, you had a responsibility to me. You know, mm-hmm. like 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 people would if they produced a child. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's it it's not fair to uh, you can't change your mind after you know um, you can't put the put it back right right um, <laughs> well it was, it was interesting that you brought up the cop in the first season so we've kind of had this like natural progression of holodeck characters we had the cop the minuet and now we have moriarty um who's probably the fullest developed um holodeck character we've yeah. seen to date but then they um i was just thinking about it i don't we don't really see any holodeck characters correct me if i'm wrong we don't really see any more except for moriarty again in a few years we don't see any more holodeck characters in next gen this is kind of as far as they take it, or am I wrong? Am I forgetting something? As far as being sentient, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, asking true. the question with the, mm-hmm. with, with the holodeck, that kind of question. Of course, you know, you know the be-all, end-all we're going to get to is the Doctor on Voyage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the Star Trek doesn't drop the question, but it kind of seems like um, Next Gen kind of drops mm-hmm. it after this. I mean, then they, they have data, to, and we're going to get into that later in this season about mm-hmm. sentient mm-hmm. life. So maybe that's kind of why they were like, let's just focus on data. Right, right. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I got to mention, I laughed out loud, and I wasn't supposed to. I don't think they're they're deciding what to do. Like at, at, right after that scene where uh, Data has the uh, drawing of the Enterprise. So we're all in the ready room figuring out what to do and everything. And Jordy offers a solution. Well, I could, and a very he gives this very long techno babble explanation about how he could bombard uh, the holodeck with this particle beam and it would destroy all of the um, uh, holographic 
life forms, including Mariotti. And and Picard says, and what, what would this do to Pulaski? And he says, well, the particle beam will destroy human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like he wasn't okay. going to volunteer that information, you know. It's... <laughs> this one killed a good doctor. Oh, uh, uh, well, I don't know. Then. Yeah. It was nice seeing um, Worf in a tux, that kind of that clash. I'm sure that was funny. Yeah, it was funny, yeah. <laughs> like him jumping at the top hat, you know, and Picard yeah. above his top oh, hat. He He's top like, <laughs> That's funny. Um, what's this episode about, guys? Sentient life. What's yeah, the de- the definition of life, I think, and uh, and our responsibility towards that which we create and that kind well, of thing. To me, if we say if we talk about um, the sentient life, then then we're not just including morality; we're including uh, data and his and his well, desire to yeah, and his desire to prove to Pulaski um, that he is more than a response to a you know a predefined program. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. So there's the link, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff in this episode. I really do, really do enjoy it. Um, and, I, you know, I remember a couple times in past years, uh, like of the DVDs, I watched this episode back to back with its uh, sequel. That's that's very satisfying, too. Mm-hmm. Of course, by then we have um, Barkley. Yep. <laughs> All right. Anything else you guys want to add to this one? I think we're good. So again, my favorite thing about this episode is that this is the next gen that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, even the previous season, I've said I think one one zero zero one zero zero one, the Binars episode, is a fantastic episode. It's it's the first truly great episode of Next Gen. It's still not what I think of as Next Gen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Seeing this episode is the first one where like, oh, you know, this isn't this is my Next Gen. This is home. You know, <laughs> it feels so good, and I I love I love it. I love it. I love watching this, and this is this is what I want. Um, so, with this episode, the game is afoot. Let's move on <laughs> to six degrees for elementary deer data. I think we're three one. Three zero. All right, Adam, going first or second? I'll go second. Steve Daniel Davis plays Professor James Moriarty. The actor will play the character again. In the sequel to this episode, which is called Ship in a Bottle. Ship in a Bottle is in what season of Next Gen? Oh, gosh. Um, is it sixth? You're correct. It's sixth. Uh, Adam, Anne Ramsey plays Ensign Clancy, the engineering crew member that is told Jordy uh, and Data would be kicking it old school at 221B Baker Street. She will play the character again toward the end of season two when Worf and his old flame... Kilar try to bring order to some Klingons. What is the name of this episode that happens to be rather similar to the title of a DS9 episode? Similar to a DS9 episode? I'm going to go over today. I have no idea. Steve? Is it uh, The Emissary? You're correct. It was The Emissary. DS9's pilot was just called Emissary. It's a sweep today, folks. Sorry about that. So we recently recorded a conversation uh, two weeks ago on our podcast. We recorded about um, Star Trek versus Star Wars. I think J.J. Well, Abrams taking over Star Wars. Not, compl- not completely fanboy, Star Trek versus Star Wars. Um, I think today's episode is probably going to be short enough that I can include it. I'm going to put that discussion right here. Adam, you wanted to talk about um, 
J.J. Abrams taking over Star Wars and sort of leaving Star Trek now. He's going to be... Um, What's he going to be producing? producing? Yeah, he, he'll st- still be producing a third film. Um, who knows exactly what that's going to mean. You know, I know personally, I would like to see an, uh, see them turn around the third Star Trek movie in three years instead of four, because then we'd have a movie for the 50th anniversary. I know that seems silly, but we got one for the 25th anniversary, mm-hmm. and it was a great mm-hmm. movie. Um, so that would be kind of neat, and uh, but obviously for that to happen, there's zero chance of Abrams directing it. Right. Um, as far as my thoughts about him kind of stepping away from Trek in that way, you know... I don't feel too bad about it because I I enjoy I I enjoyed his movie. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy Into Darkness, but they're very you know, they're popcorn movies. Even more so like we talk about like I love Star Trek because I love the Star Trek television shows because you know, this episodic format uh, gives them a chance to ask these weighty questions. That's the entire point of our podcast. For the most part, you can't do that so much in a movie because in a movie, you need to have big, you know, you need to have epic stakes and big explosions, and you know, it's hard to be about something. The better movies did it. Star Trek II has some great questions to ask about age, and then you know, Star Trek VI also talking about you know. Um, your usefulness in life as you get older and similar questions. So they're able to do it, um, but for the most part they need to be popcorny. And if I had a problem with Abrams' movie is that it was too much popcorny and it, and I don't it doesn't wasn't really about anything. And it was fun, but you know I, I'm glad we have it. That's cool. I'm glad that a lot of new people were introduced to Star Trek, um, and it certainly did that. <clears throat> I don't really expect anything more from Into Darkness, which is why I'm. I'm I'm not like apprehensive or anxious about it in a way because I know I know it's not going to be like it's not going to be Wrath of Khan good. It's not. It's it's not going to be about anything in that way. It's going to be a popcorn movie because that's it's going to look really cool. <laughs> it's going to look better than any Star Trek we've ever seen because that the popcorn thing is what puts butts in seats and it put more the last movie put more butts in seats than any Star Trek anything ever. So they're not going away from that folks. That's what it's going to be. So because of that I I don't feel bad about him leaving because you know, somebody else that if they're talented, we'll get another popcorn movie. The worst worst case, we get a bad popcorn movie. It doesn't really, you know, I'd be way more concerned if we were talking about the the TV show. So as far as him leaving Star Trek, I I don't feel terrible about it either way. Um, as far as him going to Star Wars, the only thing that made me feel weird about it was that he did he at least and and you know how these things are. We things could be quoted out of context, or he can just say something off the cuff or whatever. But months ago. He made a comment, I think it was to a UK magazine, but I forget, you know, where he said he felt such allegiance to Star Trek um, because that gave him his big, big, big break. And he loves the characters now, even though when he was younger, he was a Star Wars guy. Um, so that he wouldn't dream of, he would never leave Star Trek for Star Wars. That's what he said, you know. And now all of a sudden he signed this deal. That's the only part that was a little bit weird to me, but. You know. Um. Yeah, I guess my, my first feeling was I was kind of a little disappointed because I I look at movies in threes today. You know, you have your first, second, and third act, and um, you know, obviously, you know, Lord of the, you know, you have these trilogies. So I was a little bit disappointed when he when I heard that he was moving on to Star Wars. I don't have a problem with that, but I was disappointed. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not gonna he's not gonna finish all three movies, and. That's kind of what bothered me. I was like, you know, it's like, oh, but then you know what? He'll find somebody to direct it, and maybe it'll even be better. Um, we shall see in about four years, like you said. Um, it'd be I nice. Hope it's, I hope it's three. 
Um, but um, I don't understand why people, you know, you see a lot of stuff. People get upset, you know, like there's this whole Trek Star Wars feud or rivalry. I don't, I don't get that. I think, you know, I look at Star Wars and Star Trek as not rivals. They're more like brothers. <laughs> I mean, they're intertwined. I mean, they both kind of came out in oh. similar time eras, and they're in similar genres. Um, that's what argue. I would disagree with you, though. Like, I remember Steve, Steve used to talk about, like, Star Wars is like fantasy. You know, the very reasons that I love Star Trek is... Well, you didn't let me finish. Sci- okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, that, they're, I mean, I, they're, they're a similar genre, is what I was saying, and um, they have similar fans. Um, Star Trek has had the advantage of being episodal on TV, which what you were talking about is that you can go more in-depth into these things, um, character, that kind of stuff. Star Wars, you can say, is more um, thematic. It deals with more cinematic issues, you know, popcorn or whatever. Um, but the drama, in, at least I'm talking about the original Star, Star Wars series, and I'm talking about what just came out of 10 years ago. Um, it's, it's, it's very thematic. It's very dramatic. And it's, 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 I think it's a good thing that they're kind of more intertwined with Abrams going over and um, this crossover type thing. I wasn't a big fan of it at first, but thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's kind of nice. And you even have the president confusing Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, that, that was <laughs> funny. The Vulcan mind, what do you say? The, the Vulcan, no, the Jedi mind meld. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, John Stewart was was hammering him on it here just a little while ago. I've got it on mute, but I could see he had a bunch of clues. So, who, whoever didn't get to see John Stewart tonight, when you listen to this in a week, then you know go back and watch John Stewart, and you can see all what we're talking about. <laughs> but but generally, you know, this stuff that I love about Star Trek, what what makes me a Trekker instead of a Trekkie, what makes me so nutty about it, it, it really does have to do with living in this kind of universe and believing in it in a way, uh, in a way that I that I never would with Star Wars because it's more <clears throat> fantasy to me. And and that's not to knock it. I'm just saying this is exactly what I love about Star Trek and that's not at all what Star Wars is. So I you know I enjoyed those movies. I even enjoyed the prequels, which everybody still seems to hate. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy watching them. And I enjoy um, them a lot. I would say Star Wars has a theme though. I wouldn't call it fantasy any more fantasy than Star Trek is. I mean I can kind of see where you're talking about like, you know, it's well, our universe is has zero chance of ever becoming what Star Wars is, you know. Well, it probably has zero chance of ever becoming what Star Trek is. <laughs> so <laughs> they're both fantasy. Okay. I mean, I know you want to. It's it's that kind of that holdout. Maybe maybe somewhere thousands of years down the road, you know, maybe we'll come together as a human race and and be that that type of civilization. But I don't see it happening in three hundred years. Um, but yeah, they both have similar thematic things about good and coming together and evil and all that kind of stuff so i, I don't see the difference there it's steve but, you, you have any thoughts on uh, abram's trek departure no I, I don't i don't suppose i really care i, I think you know the reason is, is because he has created this round of this this trek thing you know and that's more of a production thing you know trek has never been that much about directors anyway and i think that in this case he's produced it and he's and he's direct he's, well, he's directed these first two there'll be a third one it'll look like the first two and they're going to mm-hmm. find someone who can shake the camera and put lens flares in and all this <laughs> stuff so what's the difference you know it just, who cares you know so yeah. um and as far as going to star wars I, I don't i don't really have an opinion on that i think he's got a, he's 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 good at what he does, and he has enough sense that he's not going to turn it into something it can't be. I mean, no, nobody wants to see uh, the look of Star Wars films change 
into something that like the new Trek films look like. They've got to have enough sense to to know that there's a certain kind of look. You've got to you want to make it commercially appealing, but you know I, I don't think people are going to tolerate that. Um, otherwise, I don't have I don't have a great amount of opinion on this. I think. I agree with the whole notion of these the, the 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 latest Star Trek film and what we're likely to see in the next next one and the next two is uh, it's designed to be commercially appealing and I'm not saying they're not good I think they're good films from an entertainment standpoint but it's it's like a completely different animal I'm all, almost draw a line you know um, yeah, that's it, what I was getting at too yeah yeah they just they use draw a line in the whatever you mean year they're different animal the movies versus the TV show. Yeah, that and mm-hmm. these latest movies are such different animals than the other movies before. I mean, in the same, in in a similar sense of the first six movies, the next four movies. I mean, they all have good and bad ones, and then these are totally different. Yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. and because of the whole how they how they presented it too with the whole parallel time thing, it it's to, to me it's totally different. It's like I'm entertained and I'm glad Star Trek lives. But frankly, I don't feel it's really my trick, you know, or what I'm used yeah. to from growing up, you know. Yeah. So it feels more like a comic strip to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be, as I said earlier too, you know, I would be so much more engaged and concerned and excited all at the same time if we were talking about a new TV show. Mm-hmm. Then I'd be like, who's the producer? Who's the creator? Who's the writers? Is this in the prime timeline or is this in JJ's verse? What's it mm-hmm. going to look like? You know, I'd be, you know, uh, but. But the new movie or the third movie that we'll hopefully have in three or four years, that I'm just like, yeah, cool, bring it on, I'll be there. Can't wait, I'll buy the toys. Great. And hopefully, mm-hmm. and hopefully they get, do get back to the small screen at some point. Um, it'll be interesting to see a new. I think they will eventually. They'll. Eventually I'm sure it's get a question a, of of when, when, not if. But yeah. Oh, there. That was that was very exciting, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm actually kind of excited. Not this week, but next week, I'm going down to uh, WonderCon. On Friday, they're going to have a couple of Star Trek panels, including um, Lay and uh, Burnett, you know, the guys doing doing the extra features on all the new Blu-rays. Cool. Uh, they're going to be there. They're going to do a panel there, just just like they did last year at Comic-Con, so I'm going to be there for that. Speaking of which, uh, Enterprise Season 1 Blu-ray comes out next week. Oh, yeah, already. I'm very excited to see the extras on there. It's apparently some cool stuff. Cool. Um, folks, um, you can... Um, Follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Send us an email. Uh, that's uh, Trek Companion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is Facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Uh, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other people find us. That's great. Um, and I am excited to talk about the next three episodes of Next Gen with you guys in two weeks. So uh, thanks for bearing with me and my. Uh, weak voice, but I'm sure I will be back to my usual uh, verbose self in <laughs> just two weeks' time. So until then, take it easy. Have a good, have a good one, guys. See you.